Guru, that was an uh, you know interesting overview of what are the factors that uh, affect uh, uh, grain prices. But you know, in in one of the U.S. reports, I read that in 2020, global wheat prices have also been you know sort of pulled. I am actually more or less quoting it, uh, pulled higher in in the towards the end, I suppose, of the of the year. uh because of global oil seeds and feed grain prices so feed greens freight grains you talked about and you know um but uh, oil seeds prices also so uh, you have alluded to the relation a little bit but can you just make it clear clear for people how food grain prices uh you know how are impacted and where are these correlations that we new read is in the news from time to time uh there you're right there is a, a significant correlation between uh, in prices between uh, products and it arises from one simple fact which is the area for land area available for cultivation is uh, for cultivation is finite correct and therefore different commodities or different uh, grains have to fight to get acreage right and so if the price to use an example if the price of soybeans goes too high mm-hmm. then for the coming season the farmers will have a greater incentive to plant soybeans than for any other product right and therefore the wheat acreage reduces and therefore unless the wheat prices move up in relation to soybeans prices or at or at an equilibrium level uh that incentivizes the farmer to plant a certain amount of wheat or a certain amount of soybeans and that's where the intra commodity relationship comes in so if soybeans prices go up corn is not going to be left behind and wheat is not going to be left behind right and then the supply and demand balance sheets determine how much of wheat or how much of a commodity is needed to meet demand for the next year and that will create the price relationship and the equilibrium between different uh, commodities right so acreage uh, refers to on how many acres these crops are planted right that's correct and and you're saying that there is a you know a competition for it in the sense that like the farmer has the ability to uh, choose and he will choose based on whichever one so which means that the lands are similar for well uh, the lands are the lands are similar uh, to the extent that yes it each product each commodity needs a certain kind of soil type it needs a certain uh, external weather uh, cycle so right. you will typically find most of the acreage that gives mm-hmm. you a good yield meaning mm-hmm. how many tons are produced per acre right uh, you will find it in a certain band in a certain latitude band between most uh, in the northern hemisphere and the flip side in the southern hemisphere right uh, which is why you talked about usa canada and then across most to of them east are europe the uh, ukraine and uh, places like that that's what you are yeah. alluding to right? and then go, again australia um, brazil argentina so so that's that those are the bands you are talking about now that's true and as you uh, as you go across uh, and as you go to the extremities 
then either you get to equatorial or you get to uh, polar in terms of weather mm -hmm. patterns. And mm -hmm. that is detrimental to uh, any uh, crops mm -hmm. or that gives you such low yield that it is economically not feasible to plant. You might have land acreage, but it makes no economic sense to uh, plant crop there. Right. Okay, so something related to what we have been talking, um, and uh, this also, you know, popped up while I was researching uh, for this for our discussion, and uh, this is about Vietnam. We all, you know, have seen Vietnam become from a, you know, non insignificant player to a major rice exporter and a player in in the rice trade. But this is not about rice trade. This is the uh, not the export side, but the imp uh, you know uh, import side. So, which probably I thought that uh, you know we could ask you um, how it is related to some other things that you have been talking so far in this in this session section is uh, that about a decade ago Vietnam was importing only uh, you know less than two million tons of corn, yeah. but for for the you know 2021 period it uh, they said that it will be uh, 12 million tons true so what are the important developments that have happened in this country vietnam that has caused this sevenfold increase which is not a small thing uh, there are a few factors i think the, uh, the most important factor is over the last decade uh, vietnam as an economy has developed tremendously. Its, uh, its industrial practices, uh, its uh, food consumption habits, as people get wealthier, mm -hmm. the food consumption habits uh, change. So their uh, food, con they tend to consume a greater per capita meat. Mm -hmm. uh, they tend to go on to higher classes of meat like red meat, uh, white meat, uh, and there is also in Vietnam, there is a, a huge element of aquaculture. Vietnam is one of the largest uh, aquaculture nations in the world. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And therefore, uh, all these factors combine together. So for example, mm. the food habits changed. They started eating more bread. Mm. Uh, they started eating more meat on a per capita basis. The, right. uh, the consumption went up in mm. absolute terms. Mm. And there is another factor which also doesn't uh, get much publicity and people don't like to talk about it, but it is, uh, it is a reality, which is a certain amount of what gets imported into Vietnam, especially in the north near Hanoi, in that area in the north mm. Vietnam, ends up in southern China. It walks across the border. Right, 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 right. Uh, okay. And therefore, I think... Today, I would estimate one third of what goes into Vietnam actually mm -hmm. ends up in southern China. Okay. So these are some of the factors. I think in general, the economy has been growing uh, and food habits have been growing. People tend to get eat better quality food, better quality food, better protein sources. Which, which means more meat, which means more uh, feed grains more, and corns, right? Which means uh, more imports of uh, more requirement for corn. Right. Right, right. Interesting, interesting. Good. So, um, let's move on to you know sort of things that you have seen over the years. And this, you know, we had a good introduction to 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 you know 
what's the lay of the land to say so to say but let's move on to discuss how in your own uh, you know career and experience how you have seen the industry change right so what are the major events that have uh, you know happened in in the you know in the history of grain business over the last few decades right um, maybe the top few top 5 whatever which are whatever are, are important for people to know right i think the main uh, there've been a quite a few changes really uh, and i think changes that have kept uh, kept us in pace with uh, with the requirements with the demand requirements i think the biggest uh, change one major change has been uh, information transparency mm-hmm. uh, but that has a bigger impact on price volatility rather than uh, alter the, the structural nature of uh, supply and demand right. uh, information right. transparency has taken away the opportunity for uh, what uh, we call as price arbitrage correct so when in our journey as traders in our earlier days of the uh, of your career price arbitrage could be essentially information arbitrage right that's correct yeah. now now you're saying that over the period of time with technology with communication that's disappeared that is... completely uh then i think uh, the other factor has been uh, seed research mm-hmm. uh, you had developments and seed research and agronomy practices that have made seeds less resistant to uh, diseases plant diseases mm-hmm. as well as improve yields mm-hmm. so while you have uh, you know the rate of the pace of growth of acreage uh, is complemented by an improvement in yield that's uh, these two factors combined enables you to produce much more food for the rest of the world to keep in pace with the uh, rising population uh i think the other major development has been uh, vertical integration uh trading you know is it's a very loose term uh, in the sense that it's no longer about buying cheap and selling expensive uh today trading is really about vertical integration and supply chain management and then you as a company or as an individual or as an entrepreneur defining which what your own strengths are and there are specific niches that are available uh within the industry that you can be a part of and where you can add value so the keywords are vertical integration value addition supply chain these are the biggest uh, changes that we've seen we've also seen changes in storage practices uh, in uh, storage systems in bulk material handling systems mm-hmm. that enables uh, the participants to reduce losses through handling or through improper storage uh we've seen major changes in uh, uh in management of growing cycles for example today uh there is extensive use of gps data to map uh, crops the size of crops uh, so you get enough of a head start to make corrective changes and i think through gps data uh even through satellite feed uh, data these are developments you know we will talk about it as we go down but uh so so these are big changes so interesting interesting set of changes so what you have uh, if i were to put them in major uh, buckets so you are, what you are saying is 
there have been significant changes on the production side yeah right? Grow, growing from all, all the way from the seeds grow grow you know agricultural practices uh, which kind the production side processing side has changed and on the supply chain configurations you're talking about the storage and transportation no but not only these what you're saying is that uh, precision agriculture is also one an important technological advancement which is making an impact right? that's true so so you alluded to using gps data to to plant seeds so i guess this is one of the examples that i read in this area and correct me if i'm wrong is that um, the in us the some of those giant uh, farm equipments can plant a seed now uh, in a particular place and store that data and uh, six months later when they plant it again they can be like whatever six centimeter off or whatever some you know like that the, you know, or even even shorter I, I probably those numbers would have changed that close they can be precise right like like uh, so is that is that kind of a thing that you're talking about here uh, to a certain extent yes but it starts uh, from one stage backwards and I will okay risk getting into a slightly technical part uh, because that's the only way to explain it no this uh, is technological advancement so so i think uh, you know listeners will benefit from some technical uh, you know discussion here yeah so for example uh, for instance via gps data and satellite feed even before mm -hmm. the crop is planted you can right. uh, one can assess uh, mm -hmm. in a certain part of a country of a, a as to what the subsoil moistures are, moisture content in the soil. And therefore, would you plant, you know, those decisions, would you plant in that area or would you not plant in that area? And then you have sophisticated algorithmic models that uh, take that data, analyze the data and draw conclusions as to what your potential yields can be with that mm -hmm. specific uh, uh, input mm -hmm. and the impact on production, the impact on prices. So it gets... So it starts from that stage onwards. And that just gives you, it's a hint of the level of precision and sophistication that the industry has moved to and is will continue to move forward. And you're right, uh, in terms of uh, uh, these uh, farm equipment that actually plant the, the saplings, hmm. uh, they, well, that's more relevant for rice, but uh, uh, for beans and for soybeans and for corn uh, products, they, you know, you just leave a certain residue from the previous crop. So it's not as if it is a fresh planting. But it just tells you that the technological advancements are coming at such a rapid pace and they're mm -hmm. getting so precision uh, oriented uh, mm -hmm. that you can probably define today in a particular field, which part of the field has what kind of yield and what kind of quality of the commodity that is growing there it's wow. grown to that so within a level. within a field so so even uh, a particular uh, landowner's property can be yes you can analyzed. you can uh, you can assess that the western part is uh, is in much better shape than the eastern part uh, you know so it gets as micro as that and i wouldn't be surprised to see it uh, getting even more sophisticated uh, or precise that you could map it down to a few square meters Awesome, awesome. Yeah. So move, move, let's let's move the uh, thing a little bit forward uh, along the you know um, supply. 
what are the uh, important consolidations that are taking place in the industry and what are their impacts? I think we've touched on a few of them. Uh, I will, I, I would, you know, I would probably use those same things. For example, we talked of uh, uh, material handling systems. We talked of uh, storage uh, and handling uh, facilities. Uh, but I would also add to that. Uh, bulk handling systems is probably the biggest area uh, mm -hmm. that has impacted. Uh, the business and right. uh, so you have today commodities because of the sheer size of the commodities the bulk handling systems have become increasingly mechanized mm -hmm. uh, there is way for you can run a hundred thousand ton storage facility with less than 10 people mm -hmm. uh, and manage the entire input and out outflow right so i wanted to take that forward to uh, industry consolidation in the context of, you know, uh, companies being acquired, uh, you know, uh, what are their vertical, horizontal, what kind of consolidations are taking place? Because, you know, you yourself, some of the things that you talked about, you know, uh, moving to a, a global companies, Chinese companies, and so on and so forth, they're all a sort of... Uh, uh, hints of like who is buying who and so on. So, so could you talk more about those kinds of uh, consolidations also in addition to these? Uh, well, the industry is uh, quite oligopolistic in nature. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you look at the composition of the industry, the industry is you have, let's say, five or six major global players. Mm. Uh, most of these global players who are vertically integrated all the way from farm, or maybe even fertilizer inputs to the farm, uh, through production, through storage, through transformation from an origin to a destination, mm -hmm. uh, through storage systems in uh, destination, uh, through processing in the feed industry, uh, through branding, and ultimately into retail. So there are four or five companies in the world that operate on an end-to-end -end model on a global scale. Mm. Uh, most of them are uh, in private hands. Mm. Uh, a few of them are public. Mm. Uh, then there is a second set of people, uh, industry participants, who are what we call global niche players. So either mm -hmm. they specialize in, uh, in a particular geography, mm -hmm. or they specialize in a particular product, or okay. a combination of both. Mm -hmm. uh, so these are, and you will have many such people. Uh, mm -hmm. And obviously, size is also uh, a function of uh, cash resources. This is an right. industry that, that needs a, a significant amount of uh, bank funds or leverage or internal funds to operate. Right, right. Working capital is uh, the biggest uh, uh, is the biggest food for the industry itself. Uh, most of the bigger players are today more industrial than traders because of the nature of end-to-end -end vertical integration. You will find, uh, and if I could take a few names, uh, for instance, Cargill uh, mm -hmm. or ADM, Archer Daniels Midland, 
these two companies are more industrial than trading quote unquote right, right. yeah please right. go ahead no you you work for a cooperative right uh, which is <clears throat> unlike uh, some of the companies that you named and india has had uh, amul and other agri or dairy cooperatives so my question is across the globe has the cooperative movement uh, succeeded and you know grown in this industry or has it been like the private sector giants that you talked about and uh, you know uh, that then they are the ones who are dominating how how how, how is it uh, I work for a French, uh, France's largest agricultural cooperative, with, mm -hmm. uh, in vivo. Right. Uh, and the nature of a cooperative, uh, a farming cooperative, means that you're essentially inward-looking, in the sense that the objective of a cooperative, in the true sense of the term, is to be able to market or merchandise the production of its shareholders, of its constituent farmers to the rest right. of the world. Right. Now, when we, when InVivo started, the, this was the original objective, but then significantly InVivo over the years has become very industrial, having gone into a global feed production, into agricultural technology, where uh, technology itself has become a business uh, into, in addition to its traditional merchandising uh, function for wheat and barley, which is what is uh, the principal grains grown in France. It also has extended, uh, diversified into uh, other products like corn and uh, soybean meal or protein rich vegetable meals, uh, simply because it's, uh, it's part of a portfolio diversification mm -hmm. uh, and all the commodities are interlinked. Mm -hmm. uh, if you are in the wheat business or in the barley business, you need to know what's happening in uh, other products too. Right, 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 right. So and for the reasons we discussed before. Yeah. Yes, I, we, in, you know, we haven't seen uh, very many co-ops uh, being in the trade as in vivo is right, okay. beyond its own countries. So you have cooperatives uh, that are very country specific. Uh, for example, you have one in Argentina who's only, who's uh, was the same function of uh, marketing the <clears throat> produce of its shareholders and constituents. Mm -hmm. You have similar setups in Japan, uh, but they restrict themselves to uh, that activity. Unlike us who have slightly uh, moved forward and have become a bit more industrial. Mm -hmm. uh, so today we are, uh, uh, you know, we are in, as an example, the company uh, in vivo as a group, uh, is much more industrial than trading oriented uh, without forgetting its core function mm -hmm. of why it was uh, brought into existence. And uh, in vivo today has two thirds of its operations and uh, staff worldwide and only mm -hmm. one third in France. Okay. Uh, now, so the net result is yes. Uh, I don't. We don't see much uh, uh, role for for the co-ops beyond their own uh, individual countries, unless they specifically have a strategy of extending their arms worldwide. Now, some may decide to do that; others may not. True, and that's true, their prerogative. True. So, so you know, we have looked at the industry structure and. Uh, 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 let's let's look uh, you know walk further down the chain 
So on the consumer end of the business, what changes are taking place and, uh, you know, which will have an impact on the industry, industry structure, you know, what do you see there? Or what have you observed there? On the consumer side, actually not much uh, mm -hmm. in terms of changes. Now, the demand side of the equation purely is a function of uh, population growth and demographics. Mm -hmm. Uh, it also is a function of uh, the economic well-being and the economic uh, strength of a country and of its population that enables it to afford better quality carbohydrate sources, better quality food sources in general. Which but in that most would change the that would change consumer side of the industry, right? For sure, and we have the last part. Is, that, that's what we have, you know. That's what we have seen over the last uh, ten years, and you know, we discussed briefly about Vietnam, uh, right? How that change is translated into a change in uh, import profile, and there are many other similar story in China also, right? Similar story in China before. Well, China is slightly different. Uh, China mm -hmm. is more for strategic reasons rather than purely commercial uh, driven. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of what goes into China, yes. For instance, mm -hmm. in soybeans, China. Two thirds of the world trade in soybeans is uh, China. Mm. Uh, it's a unidirectional flow from North and South America into China. Okay. Uh, and likewise, so that is purely for a consumer uh, end. Uh, Otherwise, they were the one of the major producers themselves, right? Uh, no, they've never uh, been major producers. So to give you, to put some numbers and to put it into context, China's soybean production has remained fairly static at around 15 million tons a year. Okay. Whereas its imports have grown from when I started in the business from about seven, eight million tons a year to almost a hundred million tons a year today. Uh, whereas okay. it's completely, it's different on the corn, uh, on mm -hmm. the maize, where China is a big producer, major producer, mm -hmm. about 175 million tons of production, but also because of its population needs and uh, recycling of strategic reserves, China, we mm. expect them to become a structural importer. Now, when China comes in mm. to import corn or import anything, it changes the right. whole dynamics of the equation because of its scale. Correct. And 2020, you know, season 1920 is the first year that we've seen China uh, buy maize corn in a big way. And that is a part of replenishing stocks at a strategic mm. level. So when China comes in, there's a bit of commercial, uh, purely supply and demand driven uh, angle, as well mm -hmm. as uh, a need for uh, securing uh, strategic storage. And I think that's one of the reasons uh, we, uh, you know, we discussed this earlier in terms of industry changes, why China uh, as a country decided to uh, acquire two big companies in the industry because it's a question of food security. It's a question of securing sources uh, of food. Mm. Uh, mm. When you grow to a certain size, mm. then size itself becomes a limiting factor. It becomes a constraint. It's no longer an advantage. So it's like a, it plateaus off and at a certain point, uh, mm. you know, you, it starts off as a parabolic curve and then it starts to quickly go downhill once you get to a certain stage. If you do not have, uh, you know, if you do not extend that supply chain or that food security chain backwards mm. right to the origin. And that's what we saw from the Chinese government about five years ago. Right. That's and interesting, ours was obviously. one of the companies that they had acquired at that time. 
that's true you, you mentioned yeah so um is a yeah since since we went into china a little bit just wanted to know if if i if there was an interruption in the flow of thoughts or, or earlier you about the consumer end of the business is there anything point that you we missed out when we started talking about china or you covered no i think uh... Uh, you know we've covered pretty much uh, there's more advancement or uh, more changes on the supply side than on the on the consumer side the consumer side has purely been a question of uh, uh, you know demand growth mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and demographics so the, uh our company is moving to produce other uh, you know uh, manufactured uh, agri based uh, end products because there are you know uh, there are more consumptions from the chinese more consumptions from vietnamese and so on that's what i was asking so but it's it's uh, well if that uh, all these yes. companies are becoming industrial so are they doing for things further down the chain that was my you point you can you can become uh, as industrial uh, as uh, as you want as your finances would permit you to be uh, and also whether you believe as a company that you have the necessary skill set and the strengths uh to be a participant in that end of the business and so so some companies have process branded gone into consumer marketing and so on right that's fine yeah that's true uh you can decide you could have the financial resources but you could decide that i don't have the skill set or in, even if i have the skill set i believe that they that part of the business is too saturated to derive any value uh, for a new entrant Right, 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 right. Fair point. So fair I point. think you know we, the one factor that I would also mention is you know we've seen on the consumer side we've seen increasingly protectionist tendencies from different governments for their right. own uh, internal political reasons, and these have come Correct. through imposition of duties, uh, what we call phytosanitary uh, requirements, which is uh, protocols between uh, different countries that. uh that allow or don't allow certain products to be imported right so uh, tariff as well as non tariff barriers tariff as well as non tariff barriers we've seen that increasingly and uh, uh, it continues to happen and it will always be a factor so these are the other factors that could uh, influence changes on the consumer side that the governments can themselves determine uh mm. what to let in and what not to let in thank you for joining us in yet another episode of move conversations Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the Move Conversations YouTube channel and press the bell icon to get notifications of new episodes. Thank you very much. Till till I see you in the next episode. Thank you very much. Have a great day.